welcome to a new episode of the Sunday Sauce. I'm here with Miranda Devine, who just wrote a lovely book about a horrible person, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. It was released in November. Miranda, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Michael. It's really good to be with you. Um, we met briefly last week at your uh, book signing and release event, the Metropolitan Public Club. We didn't really talk that much, but um, yeah. I'm glad you agreed to come on. Um, I mean, how's it going since you since you wrote the book? Uh, I'm sure you've been very, very busy. Yeah, look, it's it's been there's been a um, a lot of interest from one half of the population, um, and not so much from the sort of New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Biden friendly media who who are doing what they did when the New York Post initially ran our first stories last October, three weeks before the election. They're just completely ignoring it, pretending that it doesn't exist. Um, and uh, you know, back then. They, in fact, went so far as to go along with the lie that it was Russian disinformation. Right. So I, I'm, I'm an avid reader of the New York Post. I have the app. I mean, honestly, since I was five years old, I was reading the New York Post. Oh, you know? Right. You yeah. know, so, you know, I'm 32. So, I mean, um, I've been reading the New York Post forever. So um, I always read. I've been reading since you've been reporting on this Hunter Biden stuff. And, uh, you know, I follow your Cuomo stuff as well, because those are the two two morons. But um, I, I, I've been I've been reading and like, well, why doesn't the media? I mean, listen, we, we know like the right the right wing media, you know, follows it. But what, why doesn't the left wing media even bother to because like what you present in this book is is cold, hard facts. And the, you're not making this up. This is just a conspiracy theory. There's 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 facts. There's there's laptops. There's pictures. There's him smoking crack. I mean, what what's going on here? What, what do we what do we have to do? To, to, to prove this? Well, they pretend that this is just about Hunter Biden, who's a private citizen, who, you know, was the, the son of the now president, who has his own struggles with addiction, which he actually wrote a book about to try and neutralise the story. Um, but it's not about a private citizen's drug problems. It's about the President of the United States currently and the corrupt influence peddling scheme that he has been running through his family for decades. And uh, when he became Vice President under Barack Obama, he just internationalised that scheme and pulled in tens of millions of dollars um, from, you know, China and Russia and Ukraine and Kazakhstan, Romania, you name it. I mean, Hunter Biden and Joe's brother, Jim Biden, who acted as a sort of a guardian um, for Hunter, um, were mixing with oligarchs in Russia who are the right-hand men of Vladimir Putin. He was introduced by his father to the top CCP people when Joe Biden flew Hunter on Air Force Two in 2013 when he was vice president to his meetings in Beijing with President Xi and the, the top echelons of the Chinese Communist Party. In fact, on that trip, uh, Joe Biden met with Hunter Biden's new business partner who tipped him into this fund, which 
Um, last time I looked on the laptop in 2019, had $2.5 billion worth of funds under management. And while uh, just in the last couple of months, Hunter's new lawyers have been telling the New York Times that he's divested himself of his 10% share in that fund, um, there's no evidence of that on the Chinese websites that still list his company as a 10% shareholder. Um, that company is now listed as being um, dormant um, on the Delaware share register, but a uh, Delaware corporate register. Um, but who, who did he sell it to if he sold it? Did he really sell it? Um, how much money did he get? None of those questions, which the New York Times, the, sorry, the New York Post um, White House correspondent Stephen Nelson has been asking the White House, none of those questions are being answered. And so that's just one little sliver of why it's important to know, is the president's son currently in business with the Chinese Communist Party? That's what has been happening. Um, and what other sort of compromising problems does the United States now have now that it has elected Joe Biden as its president and he is now having to deal with Russia and Ukraine right now? And we know that there was money coming in from Russia into the coffers, the bank accounts of Joe Biden's family and their business associates. Interesting. So why hasn't anybody like I know like Fox News has Peter Ducey in the White House every day right he talks like he asked Jen Psaki some questions yeah. well, what why hasn't he asked her about the you know like because he thinks he she just won't answer right she'll just shoot it down like she's just not interested in answering these questions probably right well look Stephen Nelson is the New York Post's um, correspondent he knows, uh, you know, as much as anyone about this right. story. And um, he's, he asks repeatedly and just gets put down and sneered at by Jen Psaki, who never answers the question, who just refers him to Hunter Biden's lawyers. And then um, Stephen Nelson says, but I, I approach their lawyers, I ask them, and they don't respond. So it's just a cul-de-sac and the White House wants to have as little to do with it as possible. It's the same sort of uh, scam or grift that was happening when the White House was trying not to answer questions about Hunter Biden's new art career where he was peddling $500,000 paintings to anonymous buyers. Right. And we're supposed to be comfortable with that. I mean, this is a guy who has never been an artist, who has never been formally trained, uh, who has never had an art show before. And suddenly he's being fated in New York and Los Angeles. You know, famous people are coming to see his paintings in ritzy galleries. And, and, and the only um, ethical uh, safeguard that the White House put in place was that no one would know who the buyers are. That's not transparency. That is the opposite of what Joe Biden promised when he went into the White House. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely not the definition of transparency at all. I'm, well, I mean, President Biden, the transparency is not even in his vocabulary <laughs> when it comes to anything. So, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. Um, yeah. It's, it's, and isn't there like a crazy story about Hunter Biden? Like he threw a, like his... Uh, ex-wife threw his gun in the garbage and then the Secret Service had to go get it or I don't know isn't that like some kind yeah. of story like that too oh yeah yeah that's um, one of many crazy stories I, um, it you know every time Hunter got into 
trouble, which was often because he was a crack addict, um, there always seemed to be a clean-up crew coming up behind him to make sure that he never got into any legal problems or any 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 sort of threats to his physical self because he was, of course, travelling around the world in these very, uh, you know, seedy parts of the world with uh, very dangerous and corrupt oligarchs um, and doing drugs with them and having hookers sent to him and so on. And uh, so that was a pretty dangerous position for the son of the then vice president to be in. And he waved off his uh, Secret Service detail at one point, uh, perhaps because they were trying to, <clears throat> you know, enforce some sensible living advice on him. But in this particular case, uh, he had this, this very... Um, volatile uh, romantic relationship with his brother's widow um, and right. soon after his brother died of brain cancer tragically um, they hooked up and ended up living together off and on uh, but you know fought all the time and um, at one point uh, they had a had a fight Hunter had been living in California he went back to Delaware and for some reason not known, other than we know that he was extremely jealous um, of uh, his mistress, his uh, sister-in-law, um, and, and felt that she was cheating on him. Uh, anyway, he came back to Delaware, he bought a gun and um, they had some sort of a row and she then drove in her car to the local shopping centre in Delaware, in Greenville, Delaware, and um, just disposed of the gun in a trash can outside this grocery store across the road from a school, mind you, just threw it on the top of a very full garbage bin, uh, and which then um, uh, some vagrant came along and was rustling through the garbage and found the gun, uh, right. and, it, and it was later then handed in. But... Um, uh, meanwhile, um, the Secret Service went to the gun shop where Hunt had only recently bought that gun and tried to get the papers, uh, the gun shop owner, to give them the papers. And he, to his great credit, refused because, I mean, by law, he has to keep those uh, background checks when he sells a gun. And uh, that background check, Hunter Biden had lied on, uh, which is a great offence that people have been jailed for previously. Because he said that he did not take drugs, was not in the grip of an addiction, and in fact he was. And there is evidence on the laptop that only days before he had been uh, on a bender in Las Vegas, so or weeks before anyway. So um, and and you know also the state police arrived there and the local police um, to try and clean up this mess of Hunter and this gun, and um, he seemed to satisfy those officers that well it was uh, you know his his partner uh, romantic partner was afraid that he would hurt himself, and so she went and threw the gun away. Uh, so they seemed to accept that, and nothing came of it. There were no criminal charges, but that is the magic carpet ride that Hunter Biden has had throughout uh, the nine years that this laptop shows. It is incredible how many crimes untold by people who are former prosecutors who have also looked at the laptop and they say that there are many crimes to my untutored eyes that looks that way as well. And, uh, and yet he has had partners that have gone to jail partners who've been prosecuted, partners who have disappeared in China, um, and he always comes up 
roses. Nothing ever happens to him. The guy who brought uh, that President Trump and Rudy Giuliani brought to uh, before the election in in 2020. Oh, Tony Bobolinsky. Yeah. Right. Do you think he was a legitimate guy? Oh, 100%. No, Tony Bobolinsky is an American hero. He is a patriot. He is a former, uh, you know, he's a Navy veteran. Um, he was an expert on, you know, nuclear submarines. I mean, he's highly intelligent. He was a um, self-made businessman in his own right when he got sucked into this Biden family vortex um, by a mutual friend and he or a mutual business acquaintance. And um the Bidens wanted to kind of legitimise this uh, influence peddling operation for when Joe Biden left office. And so to that end, they brought in a legitimate businessman in Tony Bobolinsky to be the CEO of this joint venture with the Chinese energy company called CEFC, but which was not just a Chinese company, it was the capitalist arm of President Xi's Belt and Road Initiative, which of course is the imperialist push into the rest of the world to take over um, where you know Americans uh, leave off. And it's it's basically a, a direct threat to American power. And um and that was what Joe Biden and his family were signing up to. And so for the last two years of um, Joe Biden's vice presidency, Hunter and Uncle Jim and their uh, various business partners were travelling around the world using Joe Biden's name to open doors on behalf of China's Belt and Road Initiative for the CFC. And Hunter estimated that they were owed about $20 million for those services which uh, was to be paid after Joe Biden left office. And this was the same deal that uh, if you've heard that Joe Biden called the big guy and 10% for the big guy. Right. Well, that that is that deal, that joint venture with CFC that Joe Biden was meant to be profiting from handsomely. Um, I mean, the $20 million was just a drop in the, the ocean. The, the big riches were to come. And, um, and, you know, the, the fact Tony Bobolinsky actually spoke out against his own interest, really, before the election, because he knew who Joe Biden was. He knew that Joe Biden had been lying to the American people about, um, uh, you know, knowing nothing about Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings, because Tony Bobolinsky had met with Joe Biden twice in L.A., when Joe Biden was vetting him to run this international venture. Um, and uh, Tony Bobolinsky knew that uh, Hunter Biden uh, described his father as my chairman and uh, the big guy, and he knew that he was getting a cut of the action. And also Tony Bobolinsky was furious because he uh, understood once that Senators Chuck Grasley and Ron Johnson issued their report into Hunter Biden's uh, corruption, particularly pertaining to Burisma, the corrupt Ukrainian energy company. Uh, he realised that he'd been uh, completely cut out of, of the, the deal that they were meant to do, this legitimate deal, that Hunter Biden and Jim Biden had gone behind his back and got the money direct from China. Um, and it's effectively a bribe. I mean, this is what, I mean, it was a bribe. This is what um, 
China, Chinese people know this. This is sort of part of the culture is that you don't pay the bribe directly to the person in power, to the official. You pay it to their family member. And often these are the sons and daughters and they are called princelings. And so when Hunter Biden flew with Joe Biden on Air Force Two to Beijing and got off that plane, that was obvious to everyone in China what was happening. This was American power come to do private business. Hunter Biden was a princeling. Interesting. So now, so the Bobolinsky guy, right? He, you see him and now he's gone. You don't hear from him anymore. What did they do with that phone? What happened with all this? Like, just what happened? Nobody knows. Do, do you have any idea? Oh, oh yes, I do. Uh, look, basically, Tony Bobolinsky did his patriotic duty before the election. He handed over the, all of his, he had, I think, about four devices, Blackberries and phones. He handed them over to the FBI. Uh the material on those phones, uh, on his devices, is damning. And uh, my book is not just about the laptop, but also about Tony Bobolinsky's material, which I have. And it overlaps with a lot of the what's on the laptop and confirms it and verifies it. But it also augments it because there are WhatsApp messages, for instance, and some documents that don't appear on the laptop that do appear in Bobolinsky's material. Um, so that's, um, uh, you know, he, he allowed us to put together the jigsaw puzzle to demonstrate exactly how that Biden uh, scheme was working overseas and how detrimental it was to America's national interest. And that was what motivated Tony Bobolinsky. Now, having done, having given a press conference, having given an interview to Tucker Carlson, having handed over his material to the FBI, he then went back into obscurity, which is what he wanted. I mean, he's not a guy who loves the limelight at all. He's a quiet businessman who, um, you know, is doing very well. He's he's just living his life. And he's very keen, though, to ensure that this information comes to the public attention and that people are brought to account and that Americans are aware of just how compromised Joe Biden is when it comes to America's greatest adversaries overseas, uh, R- Russia and China in particular. Right. So it's it's you already you already answered my question. You, you give something to the FBI if it's over because they're obviously Joe Biden's personal, you know, police. So, <laughs> well, look, I mean, I know that's what it looks like. And I know that their track record has been absolutely appalling uh, since I mean, it's been obvious since Donald Trump came in and they were complicit in the Russia collusion hoax. Um, and now rounding up everybody who uh, has, you know, doing dawn raids, the FBI, on I know four people who have been trying to bring uh, Biden corruption to light, uh, and three of them are lawyers and one of them is a journalist, James O'Keefe, um, from Project Veritas. Yes, yes. And they've not been charged with anything, but uh, because they're bringing out information that is embarrassing to the Bidens, they get they get the knock on the door from the FBI. So, um, I, I mean, it looks really bad. I can only hope, and I am told that there are good people within the FBI. That obviously the the hierarchy um, is uh, has a problem, but um, that there are people who are um, 
you know, trying to do the right thing and who are patriots. So let's just see how that we know that they are investigating uh, Hunter Biden and his uncle Jim Biden for various offences ranging from, um, you know, alleged tax evasion, uh, alleged money laundering and uh, something to do with their overseas dealings. Um, so let's hope that that comes out and it's an honest and open and transparent and thorough investigation um, but if it isn't um, that's another black mark against the FBI but it doesn't mean it's the end of the road because the Republicans if they do take back the House and the Senate uh, have vowed that they will be doing investigations into this matter and they will be subpoenaing people they'll have a lot of power to get to the bottom of it and already um, Chuck Grasley and Ron Johnson did a really masterful job um, against a lot of uh, antagonism, against real uh, defaming by Democrats who called them, um, you know, basically agents of the, the, the Kremlin peddling, peddling Russian disinformation. Right. But what they did in that report into Hunter Biden's corruption was they uncovered these um, treasury uh, accounts, these treasury reports called suspicious activity reports, which actually tracked money that was coming in from suspect sources into the bank accounts that were associated with the Bidens. Wow. So now, you know, we're talking about all this Russia ties to the Bidens. And now, you know, flash forward to today, well, yesterday, or two days ago in Biden's press conference, all he did was talk about how he's warning Putin, warning Putin, this, this and this. So um, you think he's doing that for like a show? <laughs> like, you know, because he knows his son had business dealings with the Russians. What do you think that has anything to do with it? Look, I mean, I don't know for sure, but we do know, particularly when it came to Ukraine, that, um, that you know, there were people in the State Department, young, young junior people, who were absolutely aghast at Hunter Biden receiving $83,000 plus a month from uh, Burisma, this corrupt uh, Russian uh, Ukrainian energy company um, that was run by, owned by um, a guy called Slachevsky, who had been an energy minister in the previous Russia-aligned Ukrainian corrupt, very corrupt government that basically was thrown out of Ukraine uh, after the Maiden Revolution, um, and you know ran away with all the money, and uh, and so this guy Slachevsky was under investigation by Interpol, by the British, and in fact the Americans, the FBI was involved, and his uh, bank accounts were frozen in London, and he was really under a lot of pressure, and. That's why he hired Hunter Biden and his friend Devin Archer to come onto the board, despite having zero expertise. But it was because um, Hunter Biden was Joe Biden's son, and because Devin Archer had uh, was uh, you know had worked for uh, John Kerry, and so um, this was uh, Zlochevsky's way of buying protection and getting the authorities off his back, and it worked. And there are emails showing in great detail what was expected by Burisma of Hunter and what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to uh, make sure that the authorities stayed away from Burisma and that Burisma's uh, reputation and Zlachevsky's reputation was laundered by high-profile Americans. And that included Joe Biden. 
And Joe Biden, we know, went to Ukraine and forced the government then to uh, fire the chief prosecutor, who at that stage was investigating Zlochevsky, had just um, seized all his property, his mansions and his Rolls-Royce phantom car and plots of land that he owned in Kiev. And uh, this was when a flurry of phone calls went on between Joe Biden and uh, the Ukrainian government. And ultimately, that led to the reluctant firing by the government of this chief prosecutor. Now, Joe Biden boasted about that later, and he claimed that the guy was was corrupt, but there's no evidence. There's no even hint that that uh, this guy is corrupt. This prosecutor was corrupt, and in fact, that prosecutor has since given interviews in Ukraine, saying he was just about to subpoena Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. So that that was a close call for Joe Biden, and he used American power and prestige and billions of dollars in uh, American aid, which Ukraine desperately needed to fend off Russian aggression. Um, He used that as blackmail to force the government in Ukraine to do what he wanted. Now, fat lot of good it did Ukraine when you look at the predicament they're in now. But everybody that the Bidens was involved with in Ukraine were Russia aligned. They were Moscow puppets. So, uh, you know, the, the tough talk supposedly that that Joe Biden gives. And then in his press conference the other day, we saw, oh, well, a minor incursion won't hurt. It's really, um, he's not being tough at all with Russia. He's not, um, he's not carrying, a, a, you know, a, a big stick. And you just wonder why that is. And with his background and the compromising evidence on the laptop, um, it just, it really raises a lot of red flags. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've I've been a Republican my whole life, and um, to if this was Donald Trump Jr., that he would be in prison. He would be in solitary confinement. Yeah, uh, forget forget it. It would it would just be a whole a whole other story. It well, at the very Trump. least, the New York Times and the Washington Post would would write about it every single day. Yeah. Um, but they don't want to do that, and they've ignored the book because to now acknowledge the truth of what's in the laptop and the truth of what's in my book and what the New York Post has been reporting, I mean, for the last year, to acknowledge that would be to admit their complicity in covering up and censoring our story back in October because they wanted, they thought that getting rid of Donald Trump was the most important thing. They didn't care about Joe Biden. He could be the devil incarnate. It did not matter. They were going to help him into office, and they certainly did that. And we know from polls that were taken after the election that if Biden voters had known about what was on the laptop, the scandal there, uh, and and the fact that the FBI was investigating under Biden, um, they would have thought twice about their vote. And, in fact, um, we know that half of Biden voters knew nothing about it, and one in 10 would have changed their vote. And in an election that was decided um, by 45,000 votes in a handful of battleground states, that would have made most likely a really a material difference to the outcome of the election. Absolutely. Now, a little off, let's, let's step back a little bit. What made you decide to write this book? 
Well, I, I got a phone call from um, a guy called Bob Costello, who's Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, who I didn't know at that stage. I, I knew Rudy Giuliani quite well, but um, I got a late night Friday night phone call and a series of um, photographs that he texted me that were taken from the laptop showing Hunter Biden in uh, various compromising positions. And um, he said, we would like to talk to you about this, about getting this into the post. And so um, over the next um, uh, day, um, I had a lot of hours on the phone with both Bob Costello and Rudy Giuliani, um, and then obviously took it to my editors. Um, and then uh, my excellent colleague, Emma Jo Morris, uh, wrote the, the important stories from that, uh, from the laptop and from the information that Rudy Giuliani and um, Bob Costello, both who had been at the Southern District of New York as prosecutors, and obviously Rudy as um, Assistant Attorney General eventually, um, they, uh, they have forensic uh, abilities and they went through for several weeks the contents of the laptop to satisfy themselves that it was legitimate. And then we did our own due diligence when we uh, got a copy of the laptop on the hard drive um, and, uh, you know, contacted people who had also been sent uh, emails from Ukraine uh, that Hunter Biden received and verified that they received that email, that it was legitimate uh, and, uh, you know, went and interviewed the uh, owner of the MacBook repair shop in Delaware where Hunter Biden had abandoned his laptop, his waterlogged, damaged laptop back in April of 2019. And um, so between uh, all of us, we had satisfied ourselves that this was legitimate material and uh, we started running stories from it. And uh, immediately, of course, it was censored. But, um, right. you know, Rudy Giuliani gets uh, a, a lot of criticism, especially from Democrats and the left, because he is um, really a very potent person. He knows where all the bodies are buried and he knows how corruption works and he knows how crime works. And what he has um, done with this laptop is really heroic. And it, it was um, the MacBook repair shop owner had this laptop for several months and then he started, he's, he's, a, he's a Republican, he was a Trump supporter, which is not a crime, uh, and he was watching uh, the, the impeachment unfold at the end of 2019 and he felt that there was material on the laptop which he had watched as it was slowly being uploaded onto his server um, that was uh, pertinent to the impeachment proceedings. He knew that there was this company, Burisma, which was central to the impeachment and which there was a lot of material about on the laptop. So he tried to contact um, various Republicans like Jim Jordan and got no response. And so then he saw Rudy Giuliani speaking on Fox News about Burisma and Ukraine and the impeachment. And he thought, well, I'll try him. So he found an email address online and he sent off an email. And at that point, Bob Costello, Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, was uh, intercepting all the emails that Rudy Giuliani gets. And, you know, some of them are from crackpots and some are useful. And, and Bob Costello, to his great credit, managed to figure out that this looked like an authentic email. So he contacted John Paul MacIsaac and got him to send a copy of the laptop, a copy of the hard drive by Federal Express to him. And, and he started going through it and, uh, and just was gobsmacked by the material 
on that laptop. And, and just one last really interesting point, I think, is that when Hunter Biden abandoned that laptop in April 2019, that was just days before his father was announcing his candidacy. And he knew that. And he was also extremely angry with his father. He felt that his father and the rest of his family were disrespecting him, were not giving him due credit for having funded them for years and, you know, gone and done these grace and favour jobs that Joe had organised for him, gone and been the bag man around the world for the family. And he felt that no one was grateful to him. And now that he was in the grips of this terrible drug addiction and on a bender in Los Angeles for months on end, that they were disrespecting him and they felt that he was going to embarrass Joe when he was running for office and that they were trying to manage him and he was angry about that. So, so this was like a Freudian, spite thing, like a spite well, I thing? Don't, I don't think, I don't know. Look, you, you, you it doesn't look deliberate, but um, it, it could be subconscious. Um, he certainly was angry and he adores and hero worships his father um, and obviously gets a lot of benefit out of being his father's son. But he also has a sort of an ambivalent attitude towards him and a, and a res deep resentment of his father and the, the control he has over him. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you. So now you see what's going on in Australia, a little off topic from the book now, right? Because you're from Australia, mm -hmm. obviously, with the whole crazy locking people up thing. Does that like make you disgusted? Yeah, look, I... I I'm I'm sort of horrified and a little bit bemused about it. And I talk to friends back there and family back there. I mean, I have, have kids back there, you know, grown-ups. Um, and they all sort of roll their eyes and just say it's really not like that. Um, the 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 most of the really terrible um, videos that you see of really repressive behaviour by authorities come from one state, which is we call the Socialist Republic of Victoria. And it's a, a you know, Australia is a, a federation of states like the United States. And so Victoria is like California multiplied by New York on steroids. Wow. Um, it really is run by socialists. And uh, for some reason, the people who haven't left Victoria are uh, very happy with being locked down, having the longest lockdown in the world and um, this sort of repressive behaviour. There is also this sort of psychological problem I think Australians have, which is that they um, never really suffered COVID in the early days like we did here in New York, which was really the epicentre in America. Um, and so they lived in this sort of fool's paradise because they just closed the border very early. I mean, the, the minute that um, that Donald Trump uh, closed the um, flights off from um, Hubei province in China, um, Australia did the same thing, closed off flights from China. Um, and there were a lot of students that were going to arrive in um, Australia, a lot of Chinese students, uh, that's Australia's tertiary education system is built on Chinese students, and uh, they didn't come. And uh, that probably saved Australia a lot of infections. And then shortly after that, um, the government closed off travel from anywhere and stopped Australians from leaving as well. But, you know, it's an island continent. It's a former penal colony. It's never had a war of independence. Um, Australians are probably more inclined to do what they're told and be obedient than Americans. Um, but uh, it's really been um, a, a, 
a terrible thing to watch um, Australia seem to succumb to this sort of authoritarian overreach. But I do know from friends and family that at least in the free state of New South Wales, which is the largest state where the city of Sydney is, um, which is my home state, right. um, they they people have just gone about their fairly normal lives and uh, just, you know, live and let live and it's not too repressive. And now there's a new premier there and the equivalent of a governor who's much more relaxed. But the problem is that Australians were not, they didn't vax up fast enough. And so when they had a few infections come into the country that sort of went across like wildfire, um, they claimed that they've minimised death, that there have hardly been any deaths. I mean, I think 3,000 deaths or something from COVID and they compare that to America's deaths and they say, well, we're happy that we did what we did and um, that's the way the Australian public is. But now Omicron has just run rampant. There's no way you could stop that. Um, I think they have, I mean, I saw the, the American State Department issued a warning for travellers going to Australia because it's got such a high COVID infection rate. But, of course, you know, the death rate is not, and the hospitalisation rate are not connected to that. So let's hope that Australians get quickly get immunity um and and become like we are i mean we've we're even in new york people are very relaxed oh yeah of course now as since writing the book um do you know do you have you have friends on both the left and the right or do you usually just keep friends like you know on the conservative side um oh, i suppose i have a few friends that might you might call liberal or sort of middle of the road but mostly i mean the people that i hang out with um would i suppose be classed as conservatives yeah. um and uh i you know i mean look but but i mean i i was saying to someone the other day i went to the hockey the other night at madison uh, square I, garden i was there i i actually i, oh, I, I saw i was literally at the game and i saw you were there that's so funny i was at oh, the maple you... leaf game right yeah yeah yes, fantastic i was there i was there Yes. Wasn't it great? And it was a great, great game. Atmosphere. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and look, people were yelling and shouting and chanting and having a fantastic time, packed stadium, no masks in sight. And then when we were all leaving down the fire escapes or, you know, down the stairs, um, someone started up a chant, you know, F Joe Biden. Yes, and yes, so, yes. I mean, New York, for, for all everybody says, people keep their opinions to themselves, but, um, there are a hell of a lot of people who are not happy with Joe Biden and who are right. not progressive, crazy Democrats. And, um, I mean, that's mostly everyone I meet, I've got to say. I don't really meet, I, I don't, I, I would count on one hand the number of progressive crazies I've met. And they're usually the people who start yelling at you about not wearing a mask. Well, I mean, eight years of the Blasio, how much more can you take? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that red-pilled New York Oh, my sure. God. Although, I mean, what about Alvin Bragg? Oh, I mean, how does Jesus. that happen? That 80%. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm actually a member of the um, New York Young Republican Club. And we uh, last night, we actually had a, a social and Michael Henry was there. He's running for um, New York State Attorney General. And we actually oh, had good. a whole conversation about Alvin Bragg and his disgusting leftist policies that if you... Uh, sexually assault a child you go cashless bail if you it's Ugh. this this manhattan is is I, i'm actually former fdy ems so um right yeah right. for six years so i you know uh, i've dealt with the mentally ill before we bring them to bellevue yeah. we bring them to bellevue and then um 
they're out an hour later. It's it's there's there's that 850 million that uh you know Ms. De Blasio took, Miss McCray, whatever. Yeah, they, she did she did nothing with it, obviously. We know this. No. You know this. The New York yeah. Post knows this. So yeah. um just thrown know. away, like yeah. everything else. It was I mean, waste. everything got worse. And you know, the thing that infuriates me is that the streets are now so I mean, I lived here in in the um 80s and the early 90s when um you know pre-de Blasio basically right. in the right. bad old days Dinkins. when New York was yeah yeah and yeah. um New York was um you know a no like Times Square was a no-go zone at right. Central Park women were getting raped. Right. Um you know I lived with my parents um here and on the Upper East Side and it was relatively safe there but you couldn't go very far you know and and you know downtown alphabet city all of that was just you took your life in your hands and of course when you're young you do that but it wasn't a great place to bring up families and and there weren't many families in town and then um you know Rudy Giuliani came and cleaned everything up and um deserves eternal praise for that and families came back to the city but now it's just flipped in a couple of years it's just gone and it was like that before you know when I came back to New York before the pandemic in 2019 I remember and I I had been coming backwards and forwards over the years since I left um, back in the 90s but um, I I felt a, a, a sense in New York that reminded me of those bad old days. The graffiti was coming back, right. you know, the open drug taking, the smell of marijuana in the air everywhere, the homelessness, the filth, the human excrement on the footpath. That was all starting to happen again. And now it's even scarier to me because it's, you know, in those days the police would keep certain neighbourhoods safe, but now no neighbourhood is safe, it seems. No, I mean... uh I'm not even worried about the graffiti. That's the least of my worries. I live no, but in, it's uh, broken windows. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in I live in uh, South Brooklyn. I live in Bay Ridge, and this neighborhood used to be, um, you know, like everyone wanted to come here. They would call it a village inside of a city, mm. very safe neighborhood. But now we're seeing car thefts, rapes, um, stabbings. I mean, and that's because uh, we have a liberal councilman and a liberal senator who is actually. Cuomo's bitch, as I say. He, yeah. Well, yeah. Cuomo came here, had Ben Stiller knock on doors for him, uh, Senator Guarnas. He had wow. Ben Stiller come for him, knock on really? doors with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, our neighborhood is now unsafe. Uh, we almost had a Republican councilman, but um, it was a very, it's a whole nother story for another day. But yeah, now my neighborhood is uh, all the Park Slope people are trickling in because they're yeah. starting to realize that Bay Ridge is uh, cheaper. So they're mm. all trickling in and they're turning this this neighborhood very, very left. And, um, you know, the quality of life here is going it's going down and uh, I it's getting bad. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a story, isn't it, of, yeah. of what happens with Democrat voters. They they trash the places they live in, their cities, and then they move to other places, uh, whether it be from Park Slope to your area or from, you know, New York to or California to Florida and Texas, and then they bring their voting patterns with them. And it's just, it's just, uh, what does it take to make these people wake up? Um, it takes, I'll tell you exactly what it takes. It takes something to happen to them. Like, um, unfortunately, 
it takes someone, one of their family members to either, you know, get stabbed or God forbid, something like that. And then they'll wake up and be like, hmm, we really do need the police or we really do need, you know, something to happen or a leader who actually cares for our safety. Because as much as Eric Adams claims that he's a moderate and he was a cop 30 years, he doesn't mm. give it. He doesn't care. We know this. He yeah. doesn't care. So, yeah, sadly, I think that's right. I mean, he he talks talks the talk and then he just acts, you know, like the other day, I think he, he, he gave the game away when he said, oh, there's a perception of danger on the subway. And he did oh, yeah. walk that back after he got criticism. But that's that's what he thinks. That's his, you know, he, he like all these people, they're protected. They have their own private security detail. They're, they're insulated from the consequences of their actions. Well, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example real quickly. Brad Lander, perfect example. The new comptroller, he was uh, all about defunding the police. He was out there when, yeah. uh, you know, during the riots. He had he was p- taking pictures of people with signs that said F whiteness, you know, yeah. and now now he wants an NYPC security detail because he's the comptroller. <laughs> It makes yeah, no sense. Truck. It makes what no sense. Truck. Miranda, what are we going to do with this city? What are we going to oh. do? What are oh. we going to do? Well, I, I see that there's a big petition to recall Bragg. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, it's probably got a chance in hell. But at least people are trying and, and giving it a go. And, and I think the Democrats are getting scared. You saw Joe Biden today was uh, convening this um sort of conference of mayors and they were talking about um, how crime is out of control and crime is going to be the number one issue at the midterms and they need to do something better. Well, why didn't they think about that when they were calling to defund the police? And Joe Biden was front and centre in that. He pretends now he wasn't, but he was. We all remember that interview where Joe Biden said, yes, he agreed that they should divert money from police into other programs. That's defunding the police. He was for that. And now he's saying, oh, no, we need to put more money into the police. It's too late because what they did was they demoralised police. So many people have left. The good people, not all of them, but a lot of the good people and the seasoned people have left the NYPD. And a lot of them have gone to Florida where you know, the governor down there, DeSantis, has been very clever and offered bonuses to NYPD because they're they're so good and they're such well-trained and and well-seasoned officers. He's he's invited them down and given them a big bonus and helped to get into a nice house. You know, who would want to be in the NYPD at the moment? They, they, They have lost their immunity so that they can be personally sued. Um, they can, you know, they'll go to jail if they touch the hair on the head of perpetrators if one they're trying to arrest them. Right. I mean, um, when I was leave, when I was, um, like I said, when I was on the FDNY, they they didn't even want to handcuff um, emotionally disturbed people anymore because they were afraid of of lawsuits, like people who were on drugs or wanted to harm me as an EMT or harm yeah. the police because they were afraid. Because of these body cameras, everything's on body cameras. Yeah. Afraid of just, they weren't even doing anything wrong. They were just afraid of the consequences, and it's just like just just detain some to detain someone just so they won't cause harm. Yeah, using force. I mean, it's never fun for the person who's been having force used against them. But if they're resisting arrest, what choice have you got? Correct, and um, you know, I, I I hope that I don't know whoever's running in 2024 for president. 
whether it's Trump or another Republican person, I really do hope they win because this country is in dire need of a change. And it needs to be a Republican because clearly Republicans only care about law and order. We all know Democrats do not care about law and order. No, they use it for their own purposes. And, you know, the tragic thing is that they're going on about equity and about, um, you know, white supremacy and all the rest oh of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, and what they've done is they've made black neighbourhoods more dangerous. You have a little baby today who's spending her first birthday in hospital yes. because she got shot. Yes, I, mean, I this, saw this. They've made lives in black communities in this city just unbearable. And it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, actually, what the New York Post did uh, last summer or September, I believe you guys did, which I loved, you posted, you had 21 uh, African-American children on the cover yeah. who lost their lives in the summertime. Where yeah. was Black Lives Matter? Not, yeah. not, not one liberal, nothing. Like, come on, man. Why Black Lives Matter doesn't care about black lives. It's very clear. It's, yeah. it's, it's disgusting. And I was just having this conversation with um, someone when I interviewed a couple of weeks ago that my uh, black people and minorities who, who live in these public housings and low income neighborhoods, yeah. they want police. They want the police. Of course they, they do. They don't. They don't Desperate. want to defund the police. <laughs> they don't want to be ruled by gangs. No, no. They don't want to risk going outside and getting stabbed or shot when they go get a quart of milk or or go to the corner store. That's ridiculous. They're, they don't want to live living in fear. They're Come living on. in fear because Come of these on, thugs. It's 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 so cruel, and um, they've basically been abandoned. And Black Lives Matter caused this. That that's the reason it happened, and the, and the Democrats were in cahoots with them because they saw that the George Floyd matter was going to help them in the election, and they and Antifa is hand in glove with them, mm-hmm. and Antifa and BLM those protests that that acted as basically they were the stormtroopers for the Democrats, and the Democrats um, condoned it, raised money for them. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris, remember, was uh, raising bailing them out, bailing them out, raising money, bailing out. Exactly. Yeah. Oh no, so, but Antifa doesn't exist to, according to the Democrats. That's a myth. Yeah, That's a myth. Yeah. 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 The real domestic terrorists are Trump supporters. White supremacists. Um, white supremacists. White supremacists. Because, because all the is, white supremacists are doing anti-Asian um, hate, uh, hate crimes here. Yeah. They're, all doing, they're, all, they're, they're marching up and down Fifth Avenue in their KKK robes and pushing Asians in front of trains. Um, yeah. beating up Asians. That's it's all white supremacists. That's all it is. Yeah. Shooting yeah. babies in the face. That's all white supremacists. All the yeah. 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 That's it. That's all it is. It's the craziest thing. I I, I can't take it. <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, it's so obvious. But I don't know. There's a lot of people that aren't woken. Not a lot. I mean, you look at Joe Biden's um, you know, what is he, 33% approval. I mean, who are those people? They're deaf, dumb, and blind. I uh, know. You know who those people are? They're the people who wear three masks. Yes. Every booster shot available to them. They listen to Dr. Fauci. Those are yes. the 33% people. The other seven, um, whatever, I can't do math right now, 77%, 67, 67. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are the people like us who have common sense that are sick and tired of this nonsense that, like, all right. Enough is enough. We have a mumbling 
Mr. Magoo president and a vice president who just laughs at everything when she asks a hard question. Mm. Like, like, and that's it. We've had enough. But unfortunately, if Biden gets impeached or God forbid, knock on wood, he dies like from old age, we're stuck with Kamala Harris. And then if she gets impeached, we're stuck with Nancy Pelosi. My yeah. God, my God, like we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. It really is terrible. It's so that's why I don't understand when people say impeach Biden. No, no, we don't want that. We don't want to impeach Biden. Just let him ride out his four years. Let it go. Well, I, I have a slightly different take on that because A, I think people should be brought to account. And B, I also think that there are still people who believe, they look at Joe Biden, they don't pay much attention, low information people, and they believe that he's just, you know, at worst a doddery old man, he's a sweet old man, he's honest Joe from Scranton, maybe he's a little old, but he's harmless. That's not the truth about Joe Biden. He has he is a nasty person. Right. He's been, had a life of corruption. He's racist. He, he's he's a huge racist and projects huge racist. his own racism onto every onto the country. Um, and he's terribly divisive. So, and and he's utterly incompetent as well. So, I mean, he's got the trifecta or the whatever. And so, I think you put. Kamala Harrison, she is really unpopular. She's just eternal in her personal self. True. So she'll get in there and and the people who are still clinging on to the illusion that Joe Biden is a sweet old man, they'll be gone and they're going to have to deal with Kamala Harris as who she is and who she obviously is and she can't hide it and and, and therefore you know, it's it's just a very bad look for the Democrats. They'll lose whatever that thirty three percent support is. I think I think Kamala Harris was down about one or two percent when she was, uh, you know, had to drop out of the primaries. So right. she'll be down there as well. There's something deeply unpleasant and phony about her. Inauthentic. Um, she looks like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. And and frankly you know, famous last words, but can she do anything worse? And the other <laughs> thing is, by then, um, let's hope that the Republicans are in charge in the House and the Senate. So these guys are just utter lame ducks and their damage could be cauterized and minimized. Well, we can only hope. But all right, Miranda, you gave me so much time. I appreciate it. Fantastic to talk to you, Michael. Like, nice to meet you too. As yes, virtually and you know, briefly the other in night. Real life. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, I we can talk in person one again someday. Yeah. Um, we could buy your book everywhere. You don't even need to say it because everyone knows Amazon bookstores, and uh, I believe your Twitter handle is just at Miranda Divine, right? Correct. That's it. All right. So yeah. everybody, go okay. follow Miranda. She posts all the time, and she's great. And read her. Go to New York Post. Read her book. Buy it. It's amazing. I read it. So. Excellent. Thanks All so right. much, Michael. Great no to talk to you. Thank you, Miranda. Bye. Have a great day. You too.